Good morning and welcome to worship. It is indeed such a joy to be here together with the family of God in his presence, seeking his face, seeking to let him show us how he wants us to live. For those of you joining us here in the sanctuary, if you're new, I'm Pastor Ann, and I'm honored to serve alongside Pastor Andy here at the Way Woodstock. For those of you who are uh, online, we welcome you as well, and we want you all to know that you are welcome here every single day. Uh, we are a community that is committed to sharing in hope, living with purpose for the sake of others. In this sermon series, we've been asking the question, what is your story? And we've seen from stories in scripture as well as from stories of people in our very congregation that people change, their lives change when they meet Jesus, when they turn to God. God is still at work, ladies and gentlemen, in this world, and he wants to intervene into everyone's life. He wants us to be able to walk with him. Again, like in the Garden of Eden, when people, were, when the Adam and Eve were walking with him side by side, he wants us to be able to walk with him in the same way. So our stories can change. When we seek him, I love the scripture, I think it's in Deuteronomy that says, you will search for me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Today we're going to be winding up our series with the story of the Apostle Paul and how he was changed so drastically that even his name was changed from Saul to Paul. So please join me as we hear some of his very words as recorded in the book of Timothy, 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. Hear the word of God. Here is a trustworthy saying that, it, that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. For that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please join me in prayer. Dear most gracious God, we come to you today seeking your face. Lord, um, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. And it is in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Okay, so we need to go back a little bit to get the backstory, to understand why Paul would say these words in the first book, in First Timothy, in the letter, the first letter that he wrote to uh, there. So we first encounter him as Saul. First time we hear about this man is in Acts, Acts seven. His name is Saul, and he is watching as the stoning of the first Christian martyr is occurring. We're told in Acts 8, 1, 
and Saul approved of their killing him. We're also told, though, that with the stoning of Stephen, a great persecution broke out against the early church, and that Saul was part of that persecution. He began to destroy, to seek out, going from house to house, to seek out men and women who were following Jesus and putting them in prison. Now, one interesting thing about all this is that it was this very persecution that got the church started when they started to obey Christ and his admonition, his command to them to go out and take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Prior to this, most of the disciples of Jesus had stayed around Jerusalem. So just who was this man Saul, and why did he have such a desire to destroy the early church? He was a Greek-speaking Jew from Asia Minor. He was a member of the Pharisees, and if you remember, they distinguished themselves by their strict observance of both religious tradition and the written law. He later described himself this way in Philippians 3. If someone thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. In other words, Paul considered himself to be an extremely religious man of impeccable character, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He knew the Hebrew Bible, and he was determined to fight against anything that he thought was dangerous to Judaism. He was totally devoted, and he was committed to his faith. Being a Pharisee, Saul was probably concerned that the Jews that were converting and following the teachings of Jesus were not being sufficiently observant to the Jewish laws and traditions. So he was committed to destroying the early church. In, the, in chapter 9 of the book of Acts, we're told that Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He even went to the high priest and he asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anyone there who was following Jesus, he could take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. But then, it was on his journey as he was about to complete it to Damascus that Saul had an experience that literally changed his life. We're told that a light from heaven surrounded him, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? When Saul asks who's speaking, the reply comes, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Saul had an encounter with the risen Lord, who then tells him that he's to get up and go on to Damascus, and he would be told there what he would do. But when Paul got up, he found that he could see nothing. This light had blinded him. 
So he had to be led to Damascus by his traveling companions. Now for three days, we're told, Saul remained blind and we're told that he he neither ate nor drank anything. Now I don't know about you, but a couple weeks back we talked about fasting and that sounds a little bit like a fast to me. While Saul was waiting, Ananias, a disciple living in Damascus, heard from the Lord, heard the Lord call him in a vision, and he told Ananias to go to Saul, because this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Now, Ananias didn't want to go to Saul because he had heard, this is the guy who was persecuting the church. He was like, come on, God, you really don't want me to do this. But God said, yes, go. So Ananias finally worked up the courage and he went. And he said to Saul, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're told that at that time, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. But he began to see the world very differently. He got up and he was baptized. And then after he was baptized, he ate something so that he could regain his strength. We're then told that Saul stayed several days there in Damascus, but at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Later in the church to Galatia, Paul writes this, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught Rather, I received it by revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he was not one of the original 12 disciples who were in ministry with Jesus during that time when he walked the earth, Paul felt a need that he had to explain where his understanding of God and the good news and what Jesus had done for us, where did that come from? And so in in that letter to the Galatians, he said it was a direct revelation. In other words, Jesus was speaking to him. It was revealed to him by none other than Jesus himself. So that's the story of how Saul was changed from a persecuting religious zealot who was trying to get rid of the early church into a committed follower of Jesus who dedicated his life to helping others understand the life of grace. His heart was changed when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He was given new vision to see things differently. Saul later became known as the Apostle Paul, and he spent the rest of his life telling others about the grace of God as shown through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the Son of God. He traveled extensively planting churches, several in Asia Minor, and at least three in Europe, including the church at Corinth. While Peter became the principal apostle to the Jews, 
Paul became the principal apostle to the Gentiles. And when problems arose in those churches that he that he planted when he was traveling, he would write letters to them explaining how to handle those situations, those problem situations. Of the 27 books in the New Testament of Holy Scripture, 13 of them are attributed to Paul. And about half of the book of Acts deals specifically with Paul's life and his works. Now, they will, we were, we're told that only seven of those can be confirmed that they were actually written by Paul. But of those 13 letters, seven were entirely authentic. They were dictated directly by him. The other six were probably, it's believed that they came from his followers who wrote in his name using materials of the surviving letters as well as material from letters that, that he had written that did not exist, that do not exist any longer. But in his letters, in all of these letters, these 13 letters, it reveals that Paul was dedicated, that he was compassionate, and that he had an underlying passionate commitment to God, to Jesus Christ, and to the mission that he had been given. I want to share a few quotes from the letters of Paul that demonstrate his passionate commitment. Romans 6, 1 to 11. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know? That all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. For we have been united with him in a death like his. We will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who's died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God in the same way. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Paul's explaining here what the resurrection means to those who believe. They have died to sin and their old way of life. And through their union with Christ, they now have the power. We now have the power to live a totally different life. And then in Romans 
3, 22 to 25, he goes on. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Here he is stressing that it's our faith. It's not what we do. It's not our works. We can't be good enough. It's what Christ has done for us that enables us to live a new life. And then in Romans 8, 31 to 39, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who has been raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake, we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No one and nothing can separate the believer from the love of God in Christ. And then to show his, he moves in a little bit of a different way, to talk about his commitment to God. In Galatians 2.20, he says, kind of goes along with this because he's talking about what happens, you know, when the believer, with the believer, uh, when they, they come to Christ and accept him as their Lord and Savior. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Can you say that? I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Again, Paul stressing the newness of life and where it comes from. And then 1 Corinthians twelve twenty seven. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Now you, and you, and you, and me, and you, and you, we're the body of Christ. 
as believers, we have a new identity and a new purpose. We are the body of Christ. And then Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. So Christ gave himself, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Now, I want to read that again because there's some real important stuff there. We are equipped for service, but the service is for one purpose and one purpose only. Listen closely. So Christ gave himself, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Not part of the measure of Christ, the whole measure of Christ. And then he goes on, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching or by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As the members of the body of Christ, we all have the opportunity to grow and to be built up and to build others up as we speak the truth in love to one another. We have the honor of helping each other to grow in the likeness of Jesus Christ. And in closing, I want three examples of Paul's total commitment to living for Christ and carrying out what God had called him to do. Acts 20.24 However, I consider my life worth nothing. My only gain is to finish the race and complete the task The Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And then Philippians 3.17, which is one of my favorite scriptures. All of these are my favorite scriptures. (laughs) I got a lot. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever is more, I consider everything a loss Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through Jesus Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow 
attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained all this. You know, Paul's really honest with us here. He says, I'm not there yet. We aren't either. (laughs) Not that I've already attained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You know, I think it would have been really easy for Paul to have remembered, to look back, and to have thought about all those people that he persecuted. And he could have gotten stuck in that, the guilt, the shame. But he said he's learned here to forget what's behind and move forward to what is ahead. And then in 1 Thessalonians five twelve to 24. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in high regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with, with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays wrong for wrong and always do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. But test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. And then he says. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Now, I like that last sentence that he tagged on there. Because it reminds us, it's God who does the work. We just have to present ourselves to him. We have to seek him. Do you hear the passion of Paul in those scriptures, though? That we learn to live as new creations? As believers, we are, each and every one of us, an important part of the body of Christ. And it is as we gather together seeking God that he works his transforming work within us and changes us into the people that he has called us to be. Now, I was preparing this message today over the weekend or over the week. It dawned on me that the story of Saul Paul was really a perfect example of the difference 
between a religious person and one who is a committed follower of Jesus Christ. As a religious person, Saul was committed to do the right thing and to follow all the religious rules and traditions. But his focus was mainly on himself and doing what he thought was right in his own eyes. But with his encounter with the risen Lord, when he met Jesus personally, he received God's grace and his forgiveness and was given the opportunity to a whole different life, a new life. He had received grace while he was in the middle of persecuting others. It was now that the Holy Spirit empowered and instructed Paul. And he was committed to do everything in his power to help others come to know Jesus, the power of his resurrection, and to help them to live out their calling as part of the body of Christ. His focus shifted, and now his focus was almost entirely on others. Paul was on a spiritual journey before he met the risen Lord on the road to Damascus. He was so busy trying to follow what God was by doing, trying to follow God by doing all the things in his own strength. But his journey changed when he met Jesus personally. As he proclaimed in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. He no longer had to do things on his own strength. Christ's spirit lived within him, empowering him to live out his calling as a member of, the, of Christ's church, the body of Christ, living and working together, growing together. And Paul was compelled, absolutely compelled, to tell others the good news and encourage them to continue growing. We're all on a spiritual journey. And I think maybe the first step of it maybe is becoming that religious person, learning about God and trying trying to do his will on our own. But there's so much more God has in store for us. In closing, I'll leave you with a few questions. Where are you on your journey? Are you a religious person? Or are you a committed follower of Jesus Christ? And how do we know which one we are? Our next sermon series will help us determine exactly where we are. Stay tuned. Please join me in prayer. Dear most gracious God, we thank you that you have called us, each and every one of us. We thank you for the beautiful example of Paul, a man who thought he was doing your will until he met you personally. When you showed up and you helped him to realize that he didn't have to do it all on his own anymore that your spirit could live within him.
and lead and guide him. And so, Lord, we, um, we pray. Help the scales fall off our eyes. Open our ears that we may see and hear differently. That we may hear the Spirit calling, leading, guiding, and directing us every step of the way. And it is in the precious name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.